and welcome to Late Night Talks, a weekly podcast talking to science fiction and fantasy authors about their creative process and how they got started in publishing. I talk to traditionally published and self-published authors about their influences, their inspirations and their latest work. My guest this episode is Anna Stevens, a fantasy author of the Godblind trilogy published by Harper Voyager. Her second trilogy, The Songs of the Drowned, began with the first book, The Stone Knife, and the second book, The Jaguar Path, came out in early 2023. This was originally recorded in October 2020. Since this podcast was recorded, Anna has also done a couple of novels for Marvel Comics and The Black Library. So today, we're, uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about writing, books, and whatever else we want to, really. And we've got some questions from people as well. But let's go back to the beginning uh, what got you into reading fantasy and then what got you into writing it? Ooh, see, this is, this is what happens when somebody doesn't send you the questions in advance. <laughs> um, True. I'm yeah. really glad I've got a gin and tonic. What? Mm, me too, a bottle of reading? glass of vodka. A, gl- a pint glass of vodka. What? No. Yes. What? Um, okay. What got me into reading fantasy? Mm. Um just always had a really weird imagination to be honest I've always I've always been it's it's one of the things that my parents have always said ever since I was really little um I always loved having stories told to me and then as soon as I was like four or five I started telling stories to them um I think probably like a lot of young kids I was animal mad for a long time right and there were a lot back in you know back in like the mid 80s there were a lot of kids books that had animal protagonists that I read um and I and I always think that they are a type of fantasy I mean the you know you've got animals talking to each other and wearing waistcoats and stuff like that that that's pretty fantastical um so I think it went from there and then there was a book um there's a book called Anna Witch which I read probably when I was about six or seven. Um, and obviously I picked it up from the library because it had my name on the cover. <laughs> um, and it was, it was a story about this young witch who's, who's not very good at magic. Um, and I always remember it because one, because her name was Anna and two, because it explained why witches wear pointy hats and it's because oh. witches hair floats. Okay, that's that's so, an explanation I've never heard before. So it makes yeah, sense. exactly, exactly. Um, so um, I absolutely fell in love with this book. I mean, part, partly because it had my name, and and she had she shared my name, um, and partly because I just I loved the story. There was a, I think there was a talking owl, and you know it, it just had a lot of different things. Um, but it it kind of showed me that you could have stories about people that were interesting and not just stories about animals and stuff like that. Um, And then I think after that, the next one I found that really stuck with me was Dragonflight um, and McCaffrey. Right. So once I hit Dragonflight, um, that was it. I then I, I read, I must've read about eight or nine of hers just straight through in succession. Um, and that was pretty much it for me. So Anna Witch and Dragonflight I remember, were, my, were my two. I remember a series of books when I was a kid about 
Not, not, this wasn't wind in the willows. This was something else. It was a group of various animals, foxes and badgers, and they were going on a, on a journey and they all spoke to each other. The and animals are farthing wood? Maybe, maybe. They probably scarred you for life. <laughs> terrible things happen in the animals of Farthing Wood. Um, like the, I think their home is being basically going to be developed, and they build like a road around the hill and this that, and the other. And and I think sounds Mrs. familiar. Mrs. Hedgehog gets run over, <gasps> and it, it, it's it's <laughs> trauma, It's like Watership Down for for my generation. Still hurts thirty years later. That's all yeah, I'm saying. Just traumatized. <laughs> Everyone at my school who'd read it, they were all like, have you read this book? Um, which may explain why I write the way I write now. It's, it's all because of the animals of Farthing You're Wood. passing the trauma on to other people. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> Pay it forward. Yes. That's, that's my belief. Sh- share it. Yeah. Share yeah, I, think, I think it was. I think it was something to like that. I read, I just worked my way through the children's section in, in the local library and they were yeah. in there for sure. Yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah. Ooh, they freaky. they were super super traumatic, and I think there might even have been a sequel, but probably with a much smaller cast of animals because a lot of them got killed and whittled yeah. down on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. And then I did yeah. obviously read Watership Down, um, mm. which didn't probably didn't traumatize me as much as the cartoon. Yeah. Which you know. Hmm. Let's not even go through the cartoon. Bright eyes. <laughs> Bright eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also read The Plague Dogs, which was by the same author. I've not heard of that one before. And it's about um, two dogs that escape from an animal testing facility. Oh, wow. And that one is much darker and a, and a lot more grown up. Um, and what they're all scarred and limping and and one of them has basically been driven insane medication that's been pumped into him it right. it was way too old a book for me to have read but i was like oh it's the same author as what is it down this will be fine um yeah dark so. very dark so yeah that was <laughs> that was interesting the plague dogs what what's it is it richard adams the author i don't i don't know i'd have to I'd have anyway, to Google it. Anyway, yeah. Mm. Look it up if you're feeling masochistic in any way. No. <laughs> There's been enough trauma from my childhood, it seems. I thought I got away fairly unscarred, but now you're bringing it all back. Just, You've just repressed it. It's I have. Repressed. I have. Wow. Dark. Oof. I mean, there's enough talking animals in all the C.S. Lewis books with, you know, mm. people in waistcoats and... and Alice in Wonderland and the rabbit in clothes and the hair and all that kind of stuff. A lot of talking animals when we were kids. The more I yeah. look back on it and Aslan, yeah. oh, more trauma there. But Maybe they're, uh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe it's more relatable when you're a kid. Mm. A talking animal. I mean, yeah. what, are the, what are the animal tragedies are there? I mean, there's clearly Arturo in the rending story. Still, no, still Atreyu. Atreyu, sorry. I can't. I've seen some of the best cosplays and they still hurt. Yes. I just, is I can't it just, at, is it yeah, just no, the person no, no. and then the- <laughs> <laughs> We can't talk about it. It's too, if you've never seen it. I've never seen it in the flesh. I've, I've seen photos of, of that cosplay and, and it is, it is evil. 
if you've never seen everything story and you have children don't show it to them until they're at least 15 that's (laughs) that's my advice that that way they'll like they'll sleep at night and you won't have to you know listen to them cry themselves to sleep for months just saying (laughs) (laughs) any bedwetting that they had might suddenly come back it's just possible yes yes anyway moving on what got you into writing fantasy um always wanted to be a writer Mm. always um as i said you know loved loved telling stories when i was a kid um always you know had had a a pretty wild imagination um fantasy was the biggest the biggest genre that i read it was the one that i that i loved the most Mm. um so when i decided that i was going to try and you know take it a bit more seriously it was really a no-brainer that it was it was going to be fantasy that I, you know, that I, that I delved into first. Um, I do have a very very bad sci-fi novel hidden um, on my hard drive, <laughs> which will probably never see the light of day. Um, it's ninety percent sure it will never see the light. Of day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, it was it was written a long time ago, back when um, I thought that the the only way you could write was was by cramming in every single cliche and metaphor and trope, and everything had to be highly melodramatic from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically the whole thing is just at like a pitch of about here. Like oh. there's no there's no peaks and troughs, there's no quiet <laughs> moments. It's all just ah for like 120,000 words. Oof. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> Fantasy just, uh, I don't know, I, I find it easier than, than other genres. Um, probably because I've had so much experience of reading it. Yeah, it makes sense. So, it, so, it, yeah. it, it was the same thing that called to me. I didn't. I never wanted to write anything else it just seemed natural that fantasy would be where i started with um it just i i've read other books but i never thought of writing now i have later and later in life but at the time when i first started i never it never occurred to me that i wouldn't write fantasy yeah yeah definitely um i mean i can read you know like um stuart turton's the seven deaths of evelyn hardcastle read it Absolutely loved it. It is the weirdest, twistiest, most bonkers, head-hopping time travel murder mystery. Mm. Um, but I would literally die if I had to write something like that. <laughs> I, I just, I don't, I can't even begin to work out how he might have done it. Like right. From an objective craft point of view, Yeah, I can just look at it and go, Absolutely not. I would need like a mile long wall and an infinite number of post-it notes and lots of string. And it would be like that gif of that guy trying to explain stuff. Madness. The thing that I love about fantasy is that you can make it as complex as you want, but also a very simple storyline can do an awful lot of emotional lifting in fantasy. Um, so yeah and i'm inherently lazy so it's easy to just go with things that are slightly easier for me to write do you plan then because you just talked about whiteboards and stuff or do you 
make it up as you go along? Um, I tend to have, I know the start and I know the ending and I know probably three or four major events right. in the middle. Um, but as for how we get to each of those points, mm-hmm. uh, that tends to be a fairly organic. Right. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I also write for Black Library for their Age of Sigma um, stuff. And they tend to like far more um, detailed briefs. Right. And you have to, um, and they're, they're very much, this is a synopsis we've signed off. Um, so this is the book that you're, or the novella or short story that you're going to turn in. Yeah. Um, so that has been quite, a, quite interesting for me because um, I've, I've got a novella coming out with them soon. And it was, I had to write an entire synopsis and they wanted so much more information than I would give for even a novel. Um, and then I had to stick to it. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I don't do this kind of thing. Um, so it was really interesting as a, like as an intellectual exercise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one thing I, I found that when I was first trying to get an agent all, all, everything is all focused on that first novel mm. and just sort of talking more you know general advice for other other writers it's all about that first novel you're working on it and working on it and working on it and you get it you know as best as you can and then hopefully an agent says yes and then when you got your first agent it obviously ended up being the god god blind trilogy how much of the third and the second novel had you planned or written when you got the agent and then when you got uh, your publisher like I had four paragraphs for book two and had two lines written for book three. So when they sort of said, you know, here's first book, Battle Mage, what's the trilogy? Oh, it's called this, called Age of Darkness, and this happens in book two, and then this happens in book three. And they were like, fine, fine. Because it all, it's all about that first book. Everything is the mm. first book until yeah. it's so far along in edits. And then they go, so how are you getting on with book two? And at that point, I thought I should start. Writing, planning, <laughs> planning. not even writing, just planning. I mean, how much did you have? Did you have on your books two and three? Of um, I think for me, because I, I, I'd been writing and rewriting and rewriting Godblind for um, many, 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 many years. Um, I did have a really good idea of what was going to happen in the in both the sequels um, because I, because I literally spent so much time working on the first book yeah. um, that I was convinced I knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, and so when my agent asked for um, a synopsis for the other two books, I had like probably about 2000 words. I was just like, yeah, there you go. That's what's going to happen. He was like, <laughs> okay, people don't do that kind of thing. Why, you know, what kind of weirdo are you? And I was like, oh, I've been writing God Blind on and off for 13 years. I, you know, I, I kind of know where it's going. And he was like, okay, that's fine. Um, and then when we got the publisher, he sent, obviously he sent the draft of God Blind and then he sent this, this, this synopsis off for the other two books. And um, the editor was like, I've never seen a synopsis for sequels that's that's quite that detailed that's amazing um and then the books turned out to be 
very little like that massively detailed synopsis anyway, um, as per my previously stated inability to stick to a plan. So I'd, I'd spent, you know, a decade crafting the perfect arc. Yep. And then we just went, I want that bit and that bit. <laughs> Get rid of the rest. And that, ah. and, and that was it. Um, so then, yeah, so then I just winged both the sequels. Um, which was a terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> and I'm doing it in this trilogy. And as I've already stated, that's a terrible idea. So kids, plan your books. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do what she does. Do what yeah, she do what says. I say. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I'm not, um, I'm extremely wasteful is probably the best way to say it. Right. Um, so the Stone Knife is um, my new book. It is the longest by far of any book I've written so far. Um, and I have a document called Cut Scenes, which is 140,000 words long. How long was the first draft? Uh, about 130,000 words. Hang on, but it went up to... Uh, the like finished one... book is 173. So you added like 50,000 words on your first draft. Wow, that's a lot. Wow. I mean, theoretically, theoretically, I would probably added about 100,000 because I cut an awful lot back out, which is why my cut document is the length of a long book. Is any of it useful at all? Like for anything? <laughs> Um, your stories or i mean i've i've kept it all which is good and uh, i think a lot of it might inform the sequels but a lot of it for me is just character development and plot development and world Mm. um so it's almost like for me i need to write it in order to know the characters better yeah um because if i just if i just had them like a paragraph on each character on a, on a document. I wouldn't know them well enough. Um, so I write, I write all of this stuff that never, ever sees publication. Mm. Um, but it helps me understand the characters. So I suppose in that respect, it's not a waste of time. Um, it's, it, who am I kidding? It's a massive waste of time. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's my, just my process. It's just my process. Well, it, I, I wouldn't works. recommend it. If it works. It as works. Part of your process. But, no. um, but yeah, it is. It is highly wasteful. I, I tend to discover them as I go along, but it almost sounds like you want to know them more before you get further into the book. I think um, I would say probably forty percent of my first draft gets cut. So right. I'll write, I write the whole first draft. Um, that's how I learn what it is I'm actually trying to write. So that's how I learn who the characters are and which parts of the story is I want to be telling. Mm-hmm. So then I'll cut all of that 40% out. Um, and then by the time I've gone through that, I feel like I know the characters. So then I can start putting back in um, and developing things in a in a more sort of three dimensional, so that they feel more real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I pretty much have to write an entire draft before I know 
what it is I'm actually trying to write. Yeah, yeah. Even with planning a book, I, I have to finish the draft before I know what the, actual, the story's actually about. Well, there's the story and then there's what the book is about. And then yes. all, and, and there's a difference. You don't always know what the book's about, even when you know the story. And then you go back and go, well, that doesn't need to be there. Well, why would it? That's nothing to do with this. What, you know, it's just part of the natural editing process, I think. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then obviously um, it goes to my agent and he'll have some thoughts and he'll probably tease out a couple of bits. And he's like, is this what you're actually trying to talk about? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> yes, let's say yes, that. Yes, it is. Let's <laughs> let's pretend that was exactly what I was going for. Mm, um Yes, absolutely. It's <laughs> um, yeah. yes, that was what I was thinking. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And then it'll go to my editor and he'll do exactly the same thing. He's like, Oh, I really like this element of it. Can we bring this out a bit? And I'm like, Yeah, I was thinking that. Absolutely. absolutely, <laughs> yes. I'm glad you've seen what I was going yes for. i've got that noted down i was, <laughs> I was definitely doing that i always find it weird when people find things or they see things that aren't that i don't think are there it's not that yeah it's not yeah. That they read between the lines but they say oh i love the way that this character is motivated by something very dark and i'm thinking what <laughs> <laughs> what I, just, I, yeah. I didn't get that and i wrote the character i just yeah. sort of think yeah. Then it makes me quite go back and question things again. And I go, is that right? And if it's not, then I have to fix it so that they don't then say that the next draft. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's that, there's that little, um, there's that meme that goes around every so often, isn't there about um, like when you're, when you're in English class at school and, um, and the teacher says, see now the author wrote that the curtains were blue because it is a sign of the character's melancholy and and you know it is a critique on blue collar society and whatever and the author's there going no the, the curtains are just fucking blue <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. that important you know <laughs> but it is interesting when you'll get someone say i really love how you did that and I'm, and you and you're like do I admit that I don't know what they're talking about? Or do I admit that that is just a total fluke? Or do I just go, yes, indeed. Yes, thank you. <laughs> if they make you sound really smart, then you go, oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like it when people find themselves reflected in the characters, but when they find something that it wasn't, that isn't there as far as I know and I wrote it, that's when I get kind of puzzled and I think, yeah, this is why I need to have other people read the book sometimes <laughs> before it goes anywhere. And then they go, huh? So like, like on my new book that's coming out next year, I'd lo- a lot of initial comments were, oh, it's really funny. And both me and my agent were there going, funny? Why is everyone, <laughs> why is everyone saying it's funny? It's not, it's not comedy. We had to kind of go back and look at it, and we, we're still not sure. Why oh, okay. Funny. Is it, I don't, I don't is get it, it. Is it very black-humoured, perhaps? Uh, there's a couple of touches, but apart from that, not really. So I, I still don't... Wow. I, we don't get it. We're both just on... It's not, it's not bloody Benny Hill. They're not chasing people around <laughs> at double speed and, you know, slapstick. And I'm, I'm just like, funny? Funny? I don't know. Maybe it's the way I write. Maybe it's just my sense of humor is coming through, but I don't, I don't know. 
Look at this time next year. Funny new book. <laughs> yeah, I am really looking what? forward to it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, funny. A new comic fantasy, Stephen Arrio. He's like, what? Uh, I was curious about something because I, I don't know <laughs> what your experience was like with this. How much input did you have into the cover of your books of the Godblind trilogy and, of course, maybe your new ones? The God, for, for Godblind, they. Um, they sent me three potential mock-ups and I had absolutely no idea what I was, none at all what I was going to get. I was probably 70% convinced it was going to be a very traditional high fantasy cover. Right. Um, I thought there was probably, you know, there would either be, you know, a silhouette with a sword or, you know, like a cloaked figure or a battlefield or something like that. Um, and then they sent me these three, these three sort of related um, images for Godblind. And I just, my, my brain basically just leaked out of my ears because it was, <laughs> it was, they were so unique and unusual and completely not what I was expecting um so I was obviously I was absolutely over the moon and then of course they had to keep that sort of aesthetic going for the other two books mm-hmm. um I would say probably probably Blood Child I had the most input to because we did by this pardon me by this time we were um trying to work out what animal we could put on the cover right um and I remember one suggestion was a kraken and I was like that's brilliant but nobody goes to see so i don't really i'm not entirely sure if it's going to work or not um so then we settled on we settled on the cat and i was like right i need to work a cat into it um which is mild spoiler please mute me for the next sort of 15 seconds if you haven't read it um but that was why um tara um, Tara's soul animal is a cat uh-huh. because I was like it needs to be somebody and I thought who kind of embodies like that sort of big fluffy kitty that can probably claw you to death um, <coughs> if need be and I just went yeah that's definitely Tara um, so yeah so that was, that was how I chose that particular animal to be uh, the representative of, of Tara's spirit I think it's, it's a bit of a mystery to do with with covers on books. And most people don't realize that as authors, we're kind of, we, we have some input, but we're mm-hmm. not, we don't come up, we don't go to the publisher and say, I want a sword and a, and a this and a moon. And it's a case of, it's one of these things that I don't think people know about is what actually happens is they came, I think in my first trilogy, they, they asked me if there's anything I particularly wanted, if I had any unique ideas because at this point, you know, any of the big publishers has done thousands of covers. So they're always yeah. hoping for something unique. So they asked me, and I couldn't come up with anything. Um, so they went away, came up with some ideas. Um, I gave them one rule on my first trilogy. that I said, there's only one thing I don't want to see. And they went, oh, what's that? And I went, because it's wizards. I went, I don't see a figure in the, in the, on, on the front cover in a hood. No one in a hood on the front cover. And they were like, oh. <laughs> Because it's the shorthand trope for fantasy, yeah. for assassins, for wizards, yeah. uh, 
mercenaries, I think, probably have men in hoods. Probably, yeah. Any kind of figure of mystery, hood. Um, so I banned them from doing that in the first trilogy and they had to come up with something different. But it, it's, we don't dictate. They give us no, different no. designs and ask us for our opinion on them. And that's Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard a couple of authors say that they have a Pinterest board and they mm. just send the link to their Pinterest board and they're like, these are all of the pictures that I've been using as inspiration while I've been drafting the book which I quite like the idea of, um, but I really don't need another drain on my time. I don't need another excuse to not be writing. <laughs> not write. Because otherwise I would just be like, hmm, what? Taking pictures. Ooh, what, ooh. Exactly. What picture of a bracelet perfectly encapsulates this character? And then I would be on Etsy for nine hours and I'd probably buy stuff that I don't want or need. <laughs> And then I'd be like, that was a productive day, wasn't it, Hannah? <laughs> How many words have you written? None. <laughs> well, thinking time. Mm. <laughs> On my new book, that I, didn't, I only did a Pinterest board when they asked for any covers that I particularly liked. So the one that's going to go next year, they said any that you particularly like, and I gave a bunch of us the, the feel for something a bit different. Okay. So that's the closest I've ever come, sort of saying something like this and they went away and came back and then um the, the new book will, the cover's going to be coming out fairly soon i think for next year um so it, and i was very happy with it because there again it's not typical i thought i was going to get something fairly typical and i saw it i was like okay that's pretty cool and it's not what i was thinking but it was oh, right. the mindset of what i'd suggested yeah they sort of took the theme of it and said okay something a bit different and that's and that's what we've got what about the new one then with the stone knife where did that come from the cover Mm. um i mean again they were they they just kind of as far as i'm aware the editors just gave a brief to the art department right um and you know so they sort of they they described the characters they described the uh the sort of the landscape and the geography and the climate and, and stuff like that um and they and they gave an overview, uh, and they came up with an idea which, in the end, we haven't gone with. Um, so I probably have had the most amount of input on this one um, because there were a couple of cultural connotations with the cover that they originally came up with, mm. and we didn't want to. Um, we didn't want to step on anyone's toes and we didn't want to be disrespectful. Um, so we sort of chatted it through and said, look, what's, what's the alternative? What could we do instead? Um, so they've sort of simplified the background, um, which is fine. And it's still really evocative and it still works really well. Um, and then they, you know, they've, they've sort of, They've given the font for the title, so for the, the stone knife, they've just they've used this this beautiful font and this this really great um, sort of color scheme on it, so that it actually looks really metallic and it looks like it would glint when you move it and stuff like that. Nice. Um, so it works really really well, uh, but I think um, I wonder whether that's because it's my second trilogy with the same publishers. So I, I, I wonder whether um, they're just more used to working with me. So that was why I got a little bit more input this time. Um, 
but I mean, I'm, I'm really, really happy with the cover the way it is. I did like the original one, but um, it's just, we, we just wanted to play it safe in the end. And, and so that's why we made the changes that we did. Okay. So we talked about it a bit. So for those who don't know what it's about and, it, and tell them when it comes out, cause it's very soon, tell them what the book is about and when it's uh, coming, coming. Okay. Uh, so it is the stone knife. Uh, book one of Songs of the Drowned. It comes out on the 26th of November, um, which is just six weeks. About six weeks, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, about six <laughs> weeks away. Don't panic. It is um, the story of... It's similar in its way to the Goblin Trilogy in that it's it's the story of a conquest, um, but it's got a much stronger focus on um, the evils of empire and colonization and how that can affect um, both the colonized and the colonizers and how it changes behavior among people and stuff like that. Uh, it's set in a very different world. Uh, so it's set in a jungle environment. Um, so I had to do a truly astonishing amount of research um, <laughs> in order to work out um, how how societies actually live and function within uh, a rainforest um, and within that sort of geology and climate and things like that. Um, there is... There's various different types of magic. There is a sort of ancestor-driven magic, and there is also a song-driven magic. Um, and there are um, also monsters. So for the first time, I have kind of gone for both an overt type of magic right. um, and uh, some super creepy water-dwelling um, monstrous entities. Mm. Exciting. And there's a very good dog in it as well. There's, <laughs> that, there's actually a lot of dogs, but there is one very, very good dog. I hope they, they better all survive after what's happening earlier. I can't take it's, any this more. This is dogs not the trauma. animals of Farthingwood. <laughs> I hope not. I just or I, is it? Oh no! Come on, come on! It's, it's, <gasps> in any book, you can kill as many people as you want in any film, but if you hurt the animal, people will complain about the animal. Oh yeah. Oh, They'll yeah. be like, 100 people died, no one says anything. But they killed a dog! And you're like, yeah, yeah. that's what they're going to remember. It's just going to... To be honest, it would just go full-on John Wick if, um, <laughs> if anything true. happened. Oh, imagine John Wick in a fantasy world, like a fantasy book is all around someone's dog getting killed. Hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if I've got time to change the plot. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. <laughs> my just straps on all these knives and swords and stuff. Wow. Yes. Yes. Anyway, sorry, get, getting carried away now. So, come on, what's your book? The new book. Mm. <laughs> okay, so it's out, it's out next June. I thought I was going to talk about it. Um, it's out next June. Um, it's a duology, and the, fo- the second book will be out the following year. Um, and it's called The Coward uh, from Angry Robot okay. Books. Um, it's set in a world where, ooh, bit, you're right. Yeah, I'm just trying to take my jacket off. <laughs> Sorry. It's set, in, it's set in a world where um, a young boy, age 17, um, he lives in this place called the Five Kingdoms, and uh, the ice is creeping 
south taking over the land and basically everyone's afraid that they're going to freeze to death. So they gather together this great group of heroes to go and vanquish the evil in the north. And he tags along as a plucky 70-year-old kid who's determined to prove that he's a hero. And he goes and everyone dies apart from him and he comes back. But they win, (laughs) kind of. And then he comes back and he's uh, got PTSD and he's shell-shocked and he's a ruin of a man. And he just lives a quiet life on a farm. And then 10 years later, something takes up residence in the north again. And they're like, right, get Kel Cressier, take up his famous sword slayer. He'll go out and vanquish it again. And his response is, no, no, I've done that. I've been there. Everyone died. They all died. And I watched them all die horribly. You want me to go and do it again? No. That's why the book's called The Coward. Lovely. And it's about his adventures. (laughs) Ten years after the fact of him broad, being... Broad, broad sense of the word adventure. <laughs> it is a quest book, to be fair. They both are. Um, very, very different. But yeah, this one is about, you know, heroism and the nature of heroism and what it means to be a hero and fame and uh, the price of fame and the price of being a legend and how people respect you in society and um, all sorts of stuff. Um, wow. But yeah, a very... Sounds excellent. A very, very different kind of story to anything I've done before. Um, and I broke all my own writing rules, but <laughs> we'll not get into that. No, no, no. No, no, I, I think we should. No, no, no. As soon as I just told you, you my, my chaotic writing process. No, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> I, saw, I saw this, this. I'd like you to comment on it, actually. I saw this yeah. as recently as last week on Twitter somebody said and i and i and i and i quote do i need to have finished the book the first draft of my book before i query an agent this is a fiction novel your your thoughts please my overriding instinct is yes with fiction um i know uh, i'm pretty sure that Scott Lynch got his five book deal on the basis of a partial. Um, so he'd written like a quarter of the lives of Luck Ramora and uh, Galanks were like, yes, please. Um, but, but I would say that he is very much the, the outlier that, that proves one that, in a million. Yeah, very much. An very actual much. million though. Not just like, Oh, <laughs> we're saying that. No, no. Yeah. He's one in an actual million submissions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I would say definitely finish your first draft because um, if you're anything like me, you're just going to end up rewriting it and changing at least 40% of the story anyway, and that will make it better. Um, but also the other thing is that people people kind of hit the ten to 15,000 word mark and they think, oh, I'm far enough in. I'm just going to – I'm just – I've had this idea for the opening. I'm just going to go back and tweak it. And then they tweak 10 to 15,000 words. And then they go, no, no, what would be even better? And they go back mm-hmm. and they do it again. And I did that myself for years before I ever finished the first draft of Godblind. Um, I rewrote probably the opening 10, 15,000 words five, six, seven, eight times. Um, because you just get stuck and you think, once I've got the perfect start, the rest of the book will will flow and it it doesn't 
You know, if you really need to change the opening, you make a note in the margin or on a post-it note or wherever you keep stuff like that and you keep going. And then when you've got to the end, then you can go back. Mm -hmm. But I, I would always say finish your first draft. And the thing is, even once you finish the book and even once you hand it into an agent, you then spend months, years working on it with your agent to get it ready for, for before they say it's ready to go to a publisher. And then once it goes to a publisher, you then work on it again, several times, several drafts and through different stages. So I, I saw that and I, I just that gif of someone banging their head through the wall. I, I was, <laughs> not, not just against it through the wall. I was like, yeah, I, I just, I, I despair yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because also your agent needs to know that you can finish a book. They yeah. don't want to, they don't want to invest time and effort into you. And then you get to 50,000 words and run out of steam. Um, and a publisher certainly doesn't ever want to get to that stage. So they need to know. I mean, I think as well, that's why they like having a synopsis for a whole trilogy or, or however long your series is, is they want to know that you've got enough ideas to get all the way through. I mean, with, with my new series, um, the first synopsis that I sent into my agent, he said, this is a duology, not a trilogy. Interesting. And so I went and wrote an entire book's worth of synopsis because I don't know how to write duologies. They frighten me. <laughs> I, d- I don't understand how, where you split the story. I can understand a three act play or a three book trilogy. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I, it's like, do you take the first half of the second book and jam it on the end of the first book? And then on the front of the second, what, how does that work? Just write three books. It's, it's easier. Um, so yeah, so, so instead of just going, okay, I'll write a duology. I just wrote an extra plot. (laughs) Okay. As you do, you know, as you do, I was like, right. What else can I jam in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you must, you must, must finish the book. So speaking of, of, of bad advice, what's the worst piece of writing advice you've ever been given? Um, okay. Uh, so I was out, um, what stage was I was at? So I was at, I was editing with Harper Voyager. I was editing Godblind. So this was before I'd actually been published. Yeah. Um, and me and my husband, we went out with some family friends. Um, and it was the first time we had met our friend's new girlfriend. Um, and she was a painter, an artist, and I was chatting to them about the process of editing, Um, and she just looked at me and she said, you let them change your book. And I said, "Uh, I'm sorry, I I don't understand. What do you mean? Do I let them change my book? I said, they're they're the professionals. They know... um, they know what they're talking about. They, they know how to, how to tease out the shape of the book that I'm trying to write, the story that I'm trying to tell. And she said, if anyone came up to me when I was painting and told me that I should change the way I paint, I would tell them that they can just do one because how dare they interrupt my art and how dare they tell me how I should create 
that's not art. You're just selling yourself for a book contract. And I was like, So when she woke up a week later in a coma, (laughs) you were there going, hello. I mean, I was, I, I was very proud of myself actually, because I wasn't quite petty enough to ask how many paintings she'd sold. Um, so I just said, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's everyone's opinion. At the end of the day, I'm learning from my editor. And, you know, did you go to art school? It turns out she didn't go to art school, um, which is fine. Not all artists do. I have nothing against artists, just this one in particular. Fair enough, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was quite – and because I was, I was still in, like, the – giddy with excitement phase of the whole thing. Mm. Um, that one was pretty crushing. But, um, and so that's why it has, that's why it has stuck with me. She did later fall over and bang her head though, which I. <laughs> you laughed. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> karma has a bitch. It just, it just felt like karma. It just really did. It really Karma did. Is a bitch. Sometimes yeah. she comes around and just bites you in the ass and sometimes she trips you over. So yeah, so that one that one has always really stuck with me. Um <laughs> other than that, I don't think there's been any sort of real clangers. Mm. Whatever works for you, you know. There's there's not really any hard or fast rules, I don't think, apart from potentially finish your first draft. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So we've got some questions from the audience. We've had some people con- some write in. Oh, uh, no. It's all right. Don't worry. Not, there's nothing too shocking, really. <laughs> uh, Patrick asks, he said, which uh, series have, have you enjoyed writing more, Godblind or, or The Stone Knife? Because um... it's, it's different. Because when yeah. you're doing that first trilogy, everything's all about trying to get the agent and doing it. And this second time round, it's a different thing. You know more about publishing. You know more about the process. You know more about the edits. But equally, you're starting a brand new world and it took you a long time to write that first series. The first book took you a long time and you built it up. Now it's like, do all of that again in less time. (laughs) Yeah. But just as good or better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, they're both absolute labors of love. Um, I would never write anything that I wasn't, you know, 100% committed to. Um, I've had to do an awful lot more research for Songs of the Drowned. Um, So that has been quite a new challenge for me. Um, Because I I tended to, I sort of dived into a couple of research books, made a load of notes, started writing but carried on reading the research at the same time. So every time I came across a really cool fact, I was like, oh, I need to slot that in. And then I would kind of like just knit back and just like jam it in somewhere. Um, Hence again, why I have to rewrite so much of my work. Um, I think I've, I've been more ambitious with this series. Um, I've, I've taken on, some bigger topics, um, which I've had sort of a lot of crises of confidence around whether I should be doing this, whether I'm good enough to actually get across what it is I'm trying to say. 
Um, so it's been it's been emotionally quite difficult in that sense. Um, but I am really proud of the book that I've that I've written. Um, I don't think it can come down to something as simple as as like as as in which one I've enjoyed. Mm-hmm. They've both been completely different um, situations. You know, writing Goblind thirteen years, writing the Stone Knife like eight months for the first draft. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I I worked out. Uh, I had a little Facebook memory pop up from um, August. 2018 mm-hmm. and it was me and my husband in a pub in london um during the nine worlds conference uh, right, convention. Yeah, convention yeah and um and i showed it to him and he said that was the day you told me your idea for the stone knife ah. and, and it, it was just it was really nice because we actually got a photo of it and it was it was in that pub at that point mildly tipsy that I <laughs> blathered on about the uh, the idea for a new series. So it was only two years ago. And wow. it's, you know, it's out in six weeks. So it has been a really fast process, um, which has been, everything has been quite heightened. Um, so Patrick, I'm really sorry. I, I can't answer. I love them both. <laughs> It was a really rambling way to say I have no answer. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be okay with that. I'm, I'm answering for him. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, Bethan has asked, he said, you've expressed an interest in writing for the gaming industry in the past. Mm. Is there any particular series of games you'd love to be involved in? I assume she means in writing, writing for that, that game franchise. See, Bethan is evil because she knows that I don't actually do a lot of gaming. Um, and just to say D&D is just like the easy answer. Um, but, you know, I mean, a, a good D&D novel that is just like full of fun and ridiculousness um, would be a lot of fun to write. Um, I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think what I used to play a lot of snakes and ladders <laughs> hardcore you know what there could be a story in that who let all the snakes out mm-hmm. and and who greased all the ladders you know i mean there's there's a there's a lot going on in snakes and ladders man well i, I think someone beat you to it i think robert jordan did it in the wheel of time because he has <laughs> he has foxes i'm not kidding he has foxes and snake men and it goes back to this ancient game. And I, when I was reading it 20 years ago, I went, hang on, snakes and ladders. I got foxes and snakes. <laughs> what? And I'm sh- I, mean, <laughs> I never got to the end of the Wheel of Time because it did take forever. And there's like, 16 books. But back then reading it at the time, I just thought, wow, weird. <laughs> Scraping the barrel. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd write for something like um, Fallout which is a great kind of post-apocalyptic mm. or um, the Witcher games. Cause they're amazing. The side quests on some of those, on some of that, like the Witcher three are fantastic. There's so many cool missions you get to do and I've like nothing to do with the overall plot, but yeah. they're so, so cool. Like it could almost be like a short story from one of his books and probably some of them were from you yeah. know, early books. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I have I have played some uh, Dragon Age Origins um, mm. until I got to this one place and I just literally got killed over and over and over. And I can't fucking work it out. I cannot <laughs> survive. Like, every single one of my characters is just like, dead, 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 dead. I'm like, how? <laughs> it's like, over and over. So I've, I've kind of just given up for a while on that. Um, but I do like... I like all the snark and stuff like that in uh, in Dragon Age. So, mm. but I'm pretty sure there is actually Dragon Age books out there. Maybe is there? Maybe maybe. <laughs> but um, as that's the only one that I've ever spent like a significant amount of time playing. Yeah. Um, I'd probably have to say that or D and D. Okay. Um, she also asked, um, "You you had your kind of perfect cast for the Godblind trilogy if it got adapted." Do you have any thoughts on uh, a cast for the Stone Knife? Sean Bean, get killed in the first, like, chapter. (laughs) Anybody die in chapter one? Can it be Sean Bean? What do you mean, no? He's always available to die. Come on, what? No? (laughs) Typecast, what? I know, I know. I mean, that does does remind me of, um, you know, the, the whole untamed on Netflix, the untamed phenomenon, the Chinese drama. Yes. There's a, there's an actor called Wang Haoshuan, um, who plays a character in that, um, who gets his arm cut off. Right. And I just, I, and, and I've just finished watching another Chinese drama called dance of the Phoenix, which stars Wang Haoshuan, <laughs> who got his arm cut off. <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> Literally, it was the same arm. And I was it's like, the new oh. Sean Bean all over again. He's <laughs> a tiny Sean Bean. It's, it's <laughs> such a shame. Um, does he actually have two arms in real life, or, or is that just because they? Oh no, he does. He does. Oh, okay, just checking. But, but um, the the production values in some Chinese dramas aren't like particularly high, so you can you can you can kind of see that it's like that quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, it's quite funny. Oh, wow. Okay, so you, he'd definitely be in your cast then for the Stone Knife somewhere. Yeah, I mean, possibly, possibly. Do I have anyone who loses an arm? I mean, I can, I can write it specifically for him, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I actually haven't really thought. Maybe, um, oh, Daisy, is it Daisy Ridloff? I'm not sure quite what her name is, um, but she is um, she's a mixed race actress and she's deaf. And one of my main characters is is a deaf woman, um, so she would be great. She's she's going to be in an, in the Marvel Eternals movie. Yes, that's right. Yes, I can't, I can't is... remember her exact um, her exact name. It's something like Ridloff. Someone will tell us in the comments. Something like that. Um, so yeah, so maybe her. Um, she see, she was in The Walking Dead, and she was, uh, which I gave up watching a long time ago. But yeah. I kind of caught a couple of episodes with her, and then she seemed super cool. So that's probably about as far as I've got at the moment. People have to read the book and then cast it themselves, I guess. Precisely. You know, yeah. uh, and also once you finish the trilogy, you might have a better idea as well of you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did, um, I did an interview on the fantasy hive and, and one of their questions was who, who, who's your dream cast for the Goblin trilogy. And I literally had like a dozen names (laughs) 
and reasons why for every single one of them. I was like, da, 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 da. Um, wow. so I'm sure that will probably develop over time. But, um, but at the moment, apart from Daisy, um, if it is Daisy, sorry, actress lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, uh, that's as far as I've got so far. Fair enough. Fair enough. So six weeks to go till the stone knife. Uh, until then, where can people find you online? Uh, okay. Um, my website is anna-stevens.com. Uh, Stevens with a PH. My Twitter and Instagram are both Anna Smith writes. Um, and I'm also on Patreon as Anna Stevens word seeker. Um, so I've got sort of regular content on there. Yeah. Um, like monthly updates. Um, so I do a monthly sort of like general update and then I do, um, editing specific update. And then, uh, the third tier is, uh, original fiction. So that might be short stories set in the Goblin universe, um, or just any other weird, um, places that come into my head at, at any point. Um, so if you want to know like origin stories for, um, Goblin characters and stuff like that, then, uh, that's in the original fiction on my Patreon. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put some links in down below so people can, can check them out as well. Cool. But uh, I guess I guess that's it for tonight. So thank you for joining me for another thank late night much. chat. Late night chat with the gin. <laughs> and the vodka. Nearly out. Nearly out. <laughs> <laughs> Need a refill, Steve. <laughs> yeah, better go and get that. Anyway, right. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Bye. <laughs>